0: pray for you. You want to pray yeah, for Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God, I, I thank you for my brother Paul. Um, I thank you for his gifting. Um, God, the gifts that you've given him that he's going to exhibit tonight um, for the building up of your people, the building up of us, this body. Um, we praise you for um, the love that you have shown him, God, the, the beauty that you have captivated him with. And... Um, how you've saved him, how you've brought him to new life. Um, God, his testimony is great, Um it speaks to your mighty work. And so tonight we pray that uh, the joy of his salvation would would overflow in him, God, as he, as he brings your word, as he is privileged and honored and humbled to come before you and before us tonight to speak um, like an oracle of God. You say in your word that those that speak should speak as oracles of God. And so tonight, God, we believe that. We believe that the words that Paul is going to speak are words directly from you um Holy Spirit we pray that you would attest um to the to the words that you've put in this man and that you would um give us discernment to to hear you God. Um we pray that it be powerful tonight Holy Spirit come and anoint him right now in Jesus name. Amen.
1: Thanks everyone. Thanks Brian. Amen. Well, I'm just going to take a couple minutes here just to Focus on Jesus. It'll be good for me, good for the group. Um, as Paul said, my favorite thing about Christianity is Jesus, and hopefully it's yours too. So I'm just going to spend some time, just um, just fixing I'm fixing my gaze on Him and just praying. So Jesus, we just thank you. You are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. We ask you today to show us your ways, God. You are the firstborn from the dead, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, Jesus. You are the uncreated God and the Word who became flesh. For in the beginning you were, Jesus. You were the Word and you were with God and you were God. And you became flesh and you're full of grace and you're full of truth. So, Jesus, we ask you tonight that you would show us your grace and show us your truth. Release it to our hearts, God. We ask you that you would pour out your holy spirit into our heart into our hearts through the love of god sweet we thank you jesus for the cross we thank you that we're seated with christ in heavenly places so we ask you tonight jesus for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you are god we want to know you jesus we want to see you as you took isaiah and you took him up into the throne room and he said i saw one seated on the throne we ask you today jesus that we would see you rightly Just open up our eyes, God. We ask you for the grace of the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes. That you would strengthen our inner man. That we would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, the length, the width, the depth, and the height of your love, God. Father, we just were so grateful that we can come before you as children and cry, Abba. So do it tonight, God. We ask you to release healing. Just release the prophetic ministry into our hearts, God, that we would encourage one another. Father, we ask you for the first commandment to become preeminent, that we would love you with all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our might, all of our strength. Jesus, that we would love one another as we love ourselves. Jesus, do it today. We love you. We're so grateful for you. And in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, tonight I'm going to speak on something I'm very energetic about. I love this topic. I love the Beatitudes. We're going to go just straight into what I call the Constitution of Heaven. I use that language a lot. Um, You've probably, if you've come here for, you know, any period of time and heard me share, you've probably heard me say it. Um, So just go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew 5. Um, Before I was really serving the Lord and walking you know, in the light that I'm walking in today, um, not that I have by any means come to any sort of fruition of the of the reality, um, but certainly more proud of my life today than I was seven years ago. Um, Me too. Amen. And Paul is too. That's a good thing. I have his endorsement. I heard this, the, what I call the greatest advice I've ever gotten. Um, and all this man told me was the, lower, the go- lower you go, the more grace you get. Some of you have maybe even received that same advice from, you know, a mentor, from the same person I received it from. And it's true. I didn't understand it at the time, but I knew that what I was doing wasn't working, and the person who was telling me was in a much better situation than I was in. So I took his advice and ran with it, and I'll never let go of it. So that is what I want to talk about tonight. The Bible says God gives more grace to the humble, but he looks at the proud from afar. I am terrified at the reality of God looking at me from afar. I don't want to live in a lifestyle that causes God to do that. So tonight I just want to focus on um, Matthew 5.5. 5. It's probably a scripture we're all familiar with. Um, we've read it many, maybe, many times. Maybe you've memorized it in Sunday school. Um, tonight I really want to unpack it. It's one short promise from the Lord. And this is Jesus, the King of kings in the flesh on the Sermon of the Mount, going before the apostles and the disciples and the people of the age that he walked on the earth with. And, um, you know, it's intense. You know, Jesus in the flesh, he was here a few short years, and the words he chose to speak I want to pay immense attention to. And here is just one short phrase. He says, blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth, so i 'm just going to spend some time defining meekness. What is meekness? Meekness is power under control? It is restraint of power for the accomplishment of a higher cause um, it 's not to be confused with weakness. Weakness is the absence of strength and power and a complete lack of options. Meekness is possessing power yet refraining from using it. So Jesus here is declaring a promise he 's saying, "Blessed are the meek." for they shall inherit the earth. He gives a godly promise from the uncreated mouth of Jesus. And he says, in Meek, if we go a little bit further, it's pertinent to not being overly impressed with one's sense of self-importance. Some synonyms are gentle, humble, considerate, unassuming, and gentle in the face of wrath. So the word, I like to do word counts. This word is actually only used four times in Scripture, um, three times in the book of Matthew. And then one time Peter uses it in first peter three chapter three verse four um, and it's actually in this word this is the one of the this is the only time in matthew eleven twenty nine that Jesus actually describes himself Jesus actually takes the time to call out his character and it's in the context of meekness and lowliness it says um, in matthew eleven twenty nine and this is just the um, the greek interpretation of it so i'm just going to be very literal it says take up the yoke of me upon you all and learn from me that i am that i myself am meek and humble in heart and you all will find you will obtain you'll perceive you will get rest for your souls so jesus explains to us that the rest the human condition of rest actually comes in the context of taking up his humility actually going before jesus and saying teach me your humility. Go and learn from me for I am meek and lowly of heart. And as we go and learn from him and we receive his ways, we find rest for our souls. I don't think it's a mystery that we look around us in this context of capitalism, this context of hustle and bustle of whatever lifestyle we're in in America and the Western world. We're very anxious. We're very busy. We struggle to dial down and quiet our souls before the Lord, like Psalmist, like Psalm, the Psalm of David tells us to, I went before the Lord and quieted my soul. So Jesus gives us a mystery into his heart. He says, if you come before me and actually take this yoke and actually learn from me, you'll find rest. There's rest in this place. And so he says earlier in Matthew 5, 5, blessed. And that word actually means happy. The word blessed literally means you will be happy if you are meek. And so the Beatitudes, we read that word. It's a Latin word. It "It simply means a state of supreme happiness, blessedness, exalted happiness, utmost bliss, facility of the highest cause. So this is what Jesus calls happiness. If you want happiness, if you want your life to count, if you want to go before the Lord with peace and joy, learn from him and his humility. And that is a promise from Jesus. And not only will you be happy, but you're actually going to receive the earth. I mean, this is glorious. To go before Jesus and say, okay, I want to be happy. Um, and not only are you going to make me happy, but you're actually going to give me, the, um, give me the earth. If I do this, you are going to hand me the keys to the earth. And it says in Matthew 16 that if you, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and what you bind in heaven will be bound on earth. And it comes through the knowledge of the God, the knowledge of Jesus. And that's what he promises Peter. He says, Peter, you did not receive these words from from man, but you received them from my father. And blessed are you, Simon Peter, Simon of Barjona. So this is what I want to focus on tonight. I want to focus on what it looks like to be meek, what it looks like. To learn from Jesus in this way, why Jesus used this only explanation to describe his character, saying, I am meek and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest if you seek this reality of who I am. So part of understanding Jesus' meekness is getting a correct reality of Jesus as all-powerful. So we don't readily identify with Jesus as all-powerful as easily as we identify with the Father as all-powerful couple reasons Jesus as a man Um, the father did not become a man that is Jesus's reality son of man son of God Um, so it's easier for us to relate to Jesus as the humble servant Um, but scripture tells us very clearly that Jesus is exactly like the father he upholds the earth and all of the universe with the word of his power and he owns everything Um, And it's not an accident that in Matthew 11, 11, 27, before Jesus declares who he is in meekness and lowliness, he says, all things have been handed over to me by my father. So Jesus unpacks this really strange dichotomy, just two things that seem like polar opposites, but he handles them perfectly. And he says, one, all things have been handed over to me by my father, yet I am meek and lowly in heart. And so that is so intense that Jesus, this all-powerful, uncreated, in-the-beginning God, Genesis 1, you know, the Word of God becomes flesh. He says, come and learn from me. Just come to me, and you'll find rest for your souls. So Jesus, He's just glorious. He owns everything. He's so peaceful, and He's so just full of immense glory. Um, Yet He says, come to me. And so, Couple, just I just want to further unpack this. Jesus, you know, he goes before Pilate in John 19, and here's Pilate. He's on the trial before the Jews and Caiaphas's army. Caiaphas's, you know, kangaroo court, and Pilate goes. He's super confused. Pilate's just a mess. His wife had a dream the earlier night saying, "Don't mess with this guy." Pilate's terrified of Caesar. He's like, "My whole city I'm the governor of Rome. Everything's a mess. I can't let riot unfold because Caesar's going to take my power." I got this dude in front of me with a crown of thorns on his head. I just want him to leave me alone. But yet these Jews are bugging me and saying, crucify him. And so Pilate goes before Jesus, and Jesus is just silent, like a lamb led before the slaughter. He's silent. And and Pilate says to him, are you speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And here's Jesus, just beautiful. He says, you could have no power at all against me unless it be given to you from above. So here's Jesus, the uncreated God, fully knowing everything he's about to do. And he says, you can do nothing to me unless I let you do it. So Jesus submits himself to Pilate. I mean, that is so intense. He goes before Pilate and he says, I will let you do this because I know the end of the story. Because I'm going to get my bride. I'm going to inherit the earth. I'm going to grab the keys of death and Hades. And I'm going to rule and reign in the... My government will have no end. The increase of my government will know no end. So this is what Jesus was doing. He goes before Pilate. He says nothing except all of a sudden Pilate puts him on the spot and he says, Listen, pal, you have nothing except what I give to you. So this is what Jesus was doing the entire time, the entire time. And then right before this in John 18, here comes the kangaroo court. Caiaphas and his army, Judas has just delivered Jesus over to you know the Jews. And Jesus in the garden, he says, Knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Who do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. He speaks three words. This man, full of grace and truth, speaks three words. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I mean, imagine this. Like here they are with billy clubs and whatever else they had and the you know, first century or whatever it was in 30 A.D., and they come to Jesus to arrest him, and the man says three words and every single... I mean, what would be going through your mind if all of a sudden here you are to arrest some poor Jewish man from Nazareth. He speaks three words, and you're just so gripped with whatever power he spoke that with that you fell to the ground, and now you've got to pull yourself back up and actually try to arrest him. I mean, I, I don't know what I would have done. I'd have been like terrified, but then all at the same time being like, well, how does this all work? So this is what's going on in, in this whole realm, in this whole situation that Jesus presents himself into and voluntarily accepts. So with all that said, as we recognize how powerful this man is and that with one word, with one phrase from his mouth, you fall to the ground, yet he allows you to arrest him. Then we start to get in, we start to just get enamored with this reality that I'm meek and lowly in heart. And if you come to me, if you just come to my feet like Mary of Bethany and sit and feast on every word that comes from the mouth of God, you'll find rest for your souls. So Jesus, he had more power available to them than we can possibly fathom. It goes on to say in the same garden, um, the same garden dialogue that. Jesus tells Peter, "Do you not think that I could appeal to my father and i 'll at once and at once he would send me more than twelve legions of angels? I like to paint this little picture of the Legion of Angels. Um, if you actually study what it is, a legion is three to six thousand infantry troops, so it 's a military term. Jesus could have had twelve of them, so it 's three to six thousand troops and one to two hundred cavalry troops, so there 's a difference between infantry troops and cavalry troops. Cavalry is more powerful than infantry. If you want to study it, you know, go for it. Um, so twelve of that is thirty-six to seventy-two thousand infantry angels, and twelve to twenty-four hundred cavalry angels. So this is what Jesus had at his disposal. One word. All he had to do was one word, and it was his choice. He said it was my choice to go before you with joy, and take on the cross. So Jesus could have done whatever he wanted. The Father gave him that ability. But so so I, I paint this picture, and I'm like, here's Jesus. You know, on the cross, he's in this situation, and all of heaven is just, I would imagine, they're all just focused, just fixated on this situation. And they're like, what's he going to do, boys? Like, they're just looking around. Like, they're geared up. They're ready for battle. They're ready to just consume whatever comes at them. And Jesus is like, just hang on, fellas. I got this one. Like, I got it. I'm purifying my bride today. I'm putting them in a seated place with me in heaven. I'm putting a crown on their head. They're going to be equally yoked with me in the new Jerusalem. Like, I got this one. They're going to kill me today, but in three days, I'm about to conquer death. I'm coming up as the firstborn from the dead, and I'm taking the keys of death in Hades. So all of this is exactly what's happening in this situation that Jesus is unpacking through meekness. So... Love restrained the available power that Jesus had and set us free from the law of sin and death that day. And it was for redemptive purposes; it was for that higher cause of redemption that Jesus chose meekness on the day of Calvary, so we could obtain and commune once again commune with God and fellowship with Him in the cool of the day. So, so that's what Jesus was doing. And I think I remember when I was first starting to learn about the gospel, there was something in this lie from the enemy that told me like. Jesus had to do this. You know, It was just some like predestined, ordained thing that he had to do, and he was forced to do it by what, for whatever cosmic power. And it's just a lie. You know, It makes no sense because Jesus can do whatever he wants. And yet he chose it. He wanted to do it. He, it was the joy set before him that caused him to choose meekness and restrain that power that day. So there's something in our heart that resists meekness. When we fell in the garden that you know in the Garden of Eden, you know in um, Genesis, in the book of Genesis, um, sin caused our hearts to resist meekness, and so we read in scriptures all these stories you know these stories riddled with violence, Joseph thrown into the pit by his own brothers, Cain murdered by his brother Abel, Egypt oppressing the Israelites for four hundred plus years, etc, etc. So we read these stories, and something in us resists that these things even happen today just because one, we maybe don't want to believe it. Two, we're you know just desensitized by whatever, um, and so that also is just something that we need to like change our paradigm shift because in this nation, um, 50 million babies have been aborted since 1973, and that violence is going to have an answer for it. God is going to redeem those precious babies one day, and so we are guilty as more today as much as we were back in the years. So there's something in us that wants to resist the reality that God wants us to be meek, but we don't want to be. So the violence of humanity has filled the whole earth, and it did so in the last in the days of old, and it's doing so today. It did so so much in the days of old that Jesus wiped out the whole earth. He just wiped it out, and he started afresh, and he says, man will not strive against me forever. He limited our years to 120. That wasn't always the case. He did it because, you know, he was tired of, striving with man his precious bride so as the violence and the wickedness of man heaps up it um it forces us to make a choice we have to either choose that way or choose meekness and this is the great advice i was given the lower you go the more grace you get and so um just one more scripture on that jeremiah 17:9. it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it? So, so this is the heart we have, and Jesus wants to give us a new heart. He wants to give us a fresh heart of flesh, like it says in the Book of Ezekiel. So, when God, and here's the other great thing about um, just the human condition, we desire greatness. So, going back to being great in the eyes of the Lord, um, our hearts naturally desire greatness. So, this is part of the other thing about resisting meekness. Um, we resist it in such a way that we strive to get power through impure motives, whether it's making money, being really athletic, um, political power, et cetera, et cetera. This is kind of the ways of the human heart that says, oh, if I do this, I'll be considered great. But Jesus presents us with a totally different paradigm, and he says, happy and blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the kingdom of the earth. So Jesus doesn't just give the kingdom of the earth to people who don't, you know, people who can't handle it. I don't want to say don't deserve it because we don't deserve it. Um, but the point is, Jesus doesn't just give the keys and the deed of the earth to people who don't know how to harbor that kind of responsibility. So Jesus presents us with an entirely different system, an entirely different constitution and government in ways. And he says... I want to introduce you to an entire different reality of greatness. And you see this in Mark 10, because the disciples struggled with this one thing. Not one thing, but you see, you see it a lot. One of the main things they struggled with was who's going to be the greatest. Who's the greatest? They were always arguing with each other. Some miracle would happen, some issue would go on, and they'd just argue and they'd fight and they'd fluster. So if the greatest apostles and the greatest evangelists of their age struggled with this, and the primary writers of the New Testament struggled with this this issue of greatness it's only natural that you and i are also going to struggle with this so we see this great dialogue in matthew mark 10 and so when the ten heard it they began to be greatly displeased with james and john but jesus called them to himself and said you know that those who are considered rulers over the gentile lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them yet it shall not be so among you But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. So Jesus again unpacks this reality of what he's like, of his character. And he says, I didn't come to be served. I came to lay my life down for you. I came to pick up the towel and wash your feet and make you look like me. And I came so that I could give my life as a ransom for you. And then Jesus introduces this wonderful, I'm so grateful for this, in Matthew 18. He says it's easy easy enough for a child. And he says, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a little child. And he sets the little child in front of them and says, Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become like a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is what it looks like to inherit the kingdom of the earth and enter into the kingdom of heaven, to take on meekness, to take on lowliness, and become and converted into a little child. And, and I, I got ruined by this this morning. I was riding the bus to work. And I was going through the message notes. And I was just meditating on these two passages, Mark 10 and Matthew 18. And um, it just dawned on me that Jesus actually did this. That Jesus didn't just tell us to do it. He actually gave us an example of it. Because in Isaiah 9, it says, Unto us a child is born and a son is given. So I just want you to just pause for one second, just try to empty your mind. And in Matthew 18, Jesus tells us, unless you are converted and become like a little child. And then Jesus actually did it. I mean, he actually became a child. And he took on flesh and he became the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that is so profound and so mind-boggling that Jesus didn't just command it to us, but he actually did it. He actually said, Father, I want to be a man. I want to be a human. And I want to go and walk with them and talk with them and spend time with them. And I want to put my glory in them. And I want to take the Holy Spirit and let it dwell inside them and stir them up and give them life. And teach them my ways so they can be with you and you can be with them and we can be one in the kingdom forever. I mean, this is so awesome. Like, this is your life. If you came tonight looking for meaning, for looking for, like, what am I made for? This is it. To dwell with Jesus forever as a human being in the greatest pinnacle of his creation ever. I mean, I love it. I just get so stirred by it. So, like I said, I have a lot of energy about this. So, and this is what the Old Testament, they prophesied about this for a long time. Jesus becoming a meek king. Psalm 37, um, verse 11 says, But the meek shall inherit the, shall inherit the land and delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Psalm 2, 8 says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. J- the Father destined to give the earth to man. It says in Genesis that he gave Adam the command that you shall be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth he predestined that the earth shall be run by a man and he would not change his mind so jesus had to become that man when adam sinned and so this so these psalms and these realities are are just a prophetic witness of jesus becoming meek and lowly Zechariah 9 verse chapter 9 verse yeah chapter 9 verses 9 and 10 it says behold your king is coming to you righteousness And having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot of a frame and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. He shall rule from the sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So here is the king of kings, just a meek king foretold. The Old Testament talks about it. Jesus fulfills it in his life, takes on the, you know, brokenness of a Nazareth, you know, illegitimate child. I mean, that's also just intense that Jesus, you know, was just scorned by the Pharisees for being illegitimate. You know, it talks about that in John 9. So he didn't even like take like a cool position as a man. He took the position of a carpenter in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem in like a manger. And I mean, he, he, he destroyed it. Whatever meekness looked like, the dude just destroyed it. You know, like if there was ever a standard for meekness and lowliness, he just blew it out of the water. You know, in Exodus, you read about the glory that Jesus had before Moses. And then he just takes that and sticks it inside of a human body. So it begs this question, what do you do with a God who's like this? What What is our response? What are we left with when we all of a sudden grip that Jesus is all powerful? He speaks three words and you just fallen on your back as you come to arrest him. He submits Himself to the governor of Rome so that the Jews can crucify Him, all the while upholding the universe by the word of His power. So what do you do with this? And the answer is you just give in. You just let go. Because you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance. When all of a sudden, when Jesus, in the express image and exact representation of the Father that He always had, just comes and approaches Human beings in their tenderness, in their weakness, in their fractured, fallen state of being—you know—he fills every kind of need. He touches every single desire with his mercy. You know, in the few years that he's on the earth, he just does everything. He heals you. He delivers the sick. He sets the captives free, like the psalm, like Isaiah 61 does. I mean, he just does it all. In the tenderness, as we approach this tender love, while all while knowing how holy he is, it just causes you know, the most bitter, angry areas of our heart to just fall under the tightest grip of love imaginable. I mean, when I started to encounter just the reality of who this man is, all the anger and the bitterness that was just gripping me and oppressing my life, just holding me captive and keeping me enslaved to just the freedom and the joy that Jesus wanted to give me, it just fades away as you start to approach and go before Jesus With open arms and saying, I give up. I got nothing against you, Jesus. For me to think that my ways have anything compared to what you do and who you are is just a waste of my time. And so that is that is what it ends up being the response. And I'm going to get into some more practicals. But just from a high, you know, 10,000 foot level, like the response that we have when we come into alignment in approaching this throne of grace and mercy and power all in one, is you just give up. And it's why love never fails. And that's why what Paul was talking about in First Corinthians 13 is that love is patient and kind. And it doesn't envy and it doesn't boast and He's not arrogant. And I mean, God is love. So He's talking about Jesus. He's saying He does not insist in His own ways. He's not irritable. He doesn't resent you. He does not rejoice in wrongdoing. He's not... He doesn't. He, but he rejoices with truth and he bears all things. He believes in all things, hopes in all things, endures all things, and he never ends. I mean, this is who he is. This is Jesus. He's just so beautiful. He's so glorious. So this is what he was talking about. He's just saying, come to me. Just come to me. Just pick up your cross. Set down your ways. Pick up my ways. And you'll find rest for your souls. So if you're here tonight... And your heart is anxious, and your mind is busy, and your life is just all over the place. One, you're not alone. Every one of us has been there or is there. Two, there's hope. And His name is Jesus. So I just want to get back to, just want to close here with this last point. Just some practical application. And um, we see this in Scripture a lot. And I'm just going to highlight two epistles um as we get into this but i just want to again before we move into that just redefine meekness again it's not being overly impressed with one's sense of self-importance it's being gentle and humble considerate unassuming and gentle in the face of wrath so we see that in jesus um, and we see in this i'm going to get back to the last time this is used in scripture this word we we know it's used three times in matthew the only other time is in first peter three four so I just want to highlight that a little bit. Just highlight the context that Peter is talking about before he uses this word. Because it's important. It's important to have context and understand what Peter's talking about before he gets into it. Um, in 1 Peter 3.5, I'll start in 1 Peter 3.1. He's talking about relationships with husbands and wives. And he says, Wives, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Rather, let it be, hidden, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle in quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. So that's where he uses the word meek, quiet spirit. It's the same word. It's translated quiet here in First Peter 3, whereas it's translated meek in the, in the gospel of Matthew. So this is what Peter's talking about. He's talking about it in the same context as a marital relationship. He's saying, go with quietness before the Lord, with a quiet spirit before your husband. And, you know, I think it's pretty clear in Scripture that um, our relationship with our spouses, you know, in, a, in an emotional perspective, is to be likened unto our relationship with Jesus. Um, so as we are the bride of Christ, and I don't want to get into all the ethereal sensuality of that. It's too complicated. But just realize, like, you are equally yoked to Jesus. That's all you need to understand. So as wives submit to their husbands with a quiet spirit, that's just exactly how the Lord wants us to submit to them. And he act, Peter actually addresses husbands in the very next part. He says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to your wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So Peter unfolds this wonderful picture of marriage in the context of the same reality of our relationship with the Lord. Simply saying that, you know, as we... If As we address the Lord with pride and with arrogance and with entitlement and with this victim reality that if only this or if I deserve this or whatever the the fill-in-the-blank may be, your prayers are hindered. I mean, it's hard for you to communicate with the Lord, and it's the same reality that he looks on the far from the proud He looks on the proud from afar, but he gives more grace to the humble. So we see this is what Peter unfolds in 1 Peter 3. He says, Your prayers are actually hindered when you don't go before the Lord with humility. And so, lastly, so the scripture, so what I wanted to kind of highlight was um, what we see all throughout the epistles is in the early chapters they lay these vast realities. Like Ephesians is a perfect example. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, chapters 1, 2, and 3. Are super intense. I mean, Paul's outlining some pretty lofty things. Like, you know, Jesus, we're Jesus' inheritance in chapter one. You know, like, we ask you that you have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ, that you would know what the surpassing value of you being the inheritance of Christ is. I mean, I'm totally paraphrasing this. And then in chapter two, he says you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. I mean, just super intense. And then chapter 3 says that you know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, the length, the width, the depth, and just super profound. And then all of a sudden you start reading in chapter 5, like children, honor your parents and wives, submit to your husbands and husbands, you know, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And, you know, Christ washed you with the, word, with the washing of the word. It's like how do these two things even fall into the same five chapters? I mean, here I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, now I'm a son of my fa- earthly father and I need to honor him. Like, I'm not sure I'm really following you, Paul. So what we're seeing is the same thing Jesus explains to us in Matthew 5. And so I, I know I'm going a little bit, you know, quickly here. But the point is, is as we walk these things out in our earthly experiences, as we, as we walk out, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the kingdom of the earth. We realize that we find happiness And that's the practical application that I want to explain is that when Paul mentored me in a broken and busted relationship with my father and says, Paul, you need to honor your father because you've been given so much by Jesus and look what he did for you on the cross. You need to love him and honor him even though it's challenging, even though he may not deserve it, even though the relationship is strained, if you honor Him and you go low and you take up meekness and you take up lowliness and you walk like Jesus walked and you do the things that Jesus did, you're going to be happier. You're going to find rest for your souls. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So that's the practical application that I want to get at is that as we walk this out and as you get into a marriage and as you get into a relationship with a spouse, if you walk this out in a practical way, It helps you relate to Jesus in a more dynamic interaction. Because you're like, Jesus, this is actually how you are. And Jesus puts us in these situations to teach us these things. Because if he just downloaded his heart into you overnight, you'd just explode. You wouldn't be able to handle it for a second. You'd just totally overwhelm. But Jesus says, all right, I'm just going to put you in this earthly marriage, and I'm going to teach you to serve your wife. And I'm going to teach you to serve your parents or your boss. Or your church leader, if you're at a church and you're like, ah, I want to sing these songs, but my pastor likes these songs, and I don't like hymns. But hymns are old; they're not anointed, and they're super boring. And the 90-year-old in the front loves them, but I don't because I want to sing Brian Johnson and Jen Johnson, and you know, Love Never Fails, Never Gives Up, and Never Runs Out on Me. Like Jesus, that's sweet. I don't want to sing like whatever hymn this person. I don't even know the words are so old. But Jesus is saying, if you just serve and you go before your master and your leaders with humility, it'll actually unlock your heart. It'll actually give you freedom and peace. And this is where our freedom is found. Amen. Amen and amen. Let's stand. So, I'm just going to pray for us. And um, I just want to spend some time just... Um, encouraging you just to seek the lord out just ask him and it can just be simple just ways where you've maybe resisted a leader maybe you've resisted your parents maybe you've resisted um you know your spouse in a way and you know she's right you know he's right and it's just that you know that wick that human heart is wicked above all things it's just i don't want to do it lord i want to cling to my rights if there's something that the Lord is highlighting, it maybe just it's probably just one or two things. The Lord doesn't give you like 15 all at once. It's probably just one or two little things. I just want you to go before the Lord with that and ask him for grace to instead of choosing my rights, just choose the way of meekness, choose the way of lowliness, because you'll actually inherit the earth this way. And this is what it looks like to walk with Jesus. So, Father, we just thank you tonight. We thank you for your ways. We thank you that your ways are higher than our ways. And, Father, we thank you that you give more grace to the humble. And how much more will you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So right now, Father, we just ask you with quiet hearts, with a quiet spirit, to give us grace to come to you right now, just to come before your feet for you're gentle and you're lowly and you're meek and you're kind and you're full of grace and you're full of truth. And you're not mostly mad at us. You don't have mostly anger in your heart towards us. But it was for the joy that was set before you that you endured the cross. And there was a higher cause in your heart that day when you told those angels to stay back. Because three days later, you're going to come out of that grave with a resurrected body and the keys of death and Hades. Because you knew the inheritance you had in store for you. You had everyone in this room as your inheritance. You had your bride as your inheritance. So Jesus, we ask you tonight that we would let go, that we would just give in and we would say yes to your ways. We would say yes to your personality, to who you are as a meek and lowly king who comes with the heralds of Hosanna riding on the foal of a donkey into the great city of Jerusalem so we thank you Jesus we love you
2: when Jesus came preaching he said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand as the Lord is coming close to you now there's an area that we want to say I'm sorry God this isn't the way I've lived. I didn't live like Jesus. So pick an area and just in your own heart now say, I'm sorry. It may be related to your parents, maybe related to the workplace or to friends where you have not humbled yourself. Find an area or two and just say, Jesus, I want your rule to be in my life. And I don't want to be so foolish that I would be proud and resist you. So humble yourself now in your heart and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Maybe with a spouse, if you're married, maybe with parents, maybe a teacher, a pastor, somebody that you've hardened and you feel you have rights to do that and you're claiming that. Like Paul said, we just give that up. We just want to surrender tonight. We don't want to be fighting. We want to give in. It's the people that just give in that they end up inheriting. Now we're going to turn this place into a prayer center. We won't be doing fellowship now. We'll be doing fellowship a little bit later. This becomes a prayer center. There's food upstairs. In a little bit we'll have meetings upstairs. But right now we just want to pray. So you find one person next to you. Turn to that person. Go ahead, turn right now. One person next to you, the most two. And you, you pray with them that issue that you just thought in your mind. Pray with them that thing that you realize you need to humble yourself. That brings the message home. It personalizes it. It's not just a message that we heard on oh, fine message. No, we want it to change our life. We want it to transform the way we do relationships with people. That kind of person that responds to the Word in that way is going to inherit the earth. Everything will belong to them. Okay, go ahead. Turn right now.